0: Sports Talk continues. I'm John Wilkerson with Jimmy Hyams. And, Jimmy, it's that time once again with SEC football coming up this weekend. We now turn our attention to the rule book, and we have a perfect person to help us do that on the Stanley Fencing and Gates hotline. Well, we do.
1: And that is Gerald Hodges, a longtime SEC replay official. Gerald, how are you?
2: Doing well, guys. Doing very well.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate that. Uh, Have you uh, been watching many games so far?
2: I've watched quite a few, Jimmy, mainly college. But, yes, I was glad to see a live game. I've watched several high school games, even on Thursday nights. And, uh, yeah, it's just good to get back to live action, I guess.
1: Is there a part of you that stays away from watching NFL games because the rules are different from college?
2: Well, it's not so much that, Jimmy, but typically during the season when you know, when you leave home on Friday and the way the things are now, probably Friday morning and you get home Sunday afternoon about four o'clock. Uh, I you know, unless there's just something really outstanding or maybe one of our former SEC officials is on the game, I, I don't get to see as much as probably a lot of people think I would.
1: We have seen a number of college players opt out because of covid 19 have there been many officials in the SEC or nationwide to your knowledge that have opted
2: out as far as the SEC goes uh, to my knowledge and uh, up to and including today uh, there's been zero on officials in the SEC I can't speak for some of the other you uh, know other conferences but I'd say the majority of them are just like us, Jimmy, they're they're ready to get out there and get get at it. We've studied very hard all year, done a lot of Zoom meetings and rules and tests and you know, we just wanna see one kick off.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Gerald, what was it like just to see the summer play out the way it did and and what how did you spend some of the downtime after it was announced that we would see the season push from the end of august to the end of september
2: well we, we had uh, we had zoom calls especially in the replay every week uh with dean blandino the uh, national replay coordinator so we did really stay in the rule book and then written quizzes every week uh i did manage to catch up on a little fishing so that wasn't
0: too too bad in itself. Well, that's outstanding, and uh, and we should say that if uh, folks have a question or a comment for Gerald 656-9900, 656-9900 is how you join us. Um, has there been much in updating from one season to the next, or uh, exceptions, anything along those lines? What uh, what has it been like? Have there been many changes or uh, points of emphasis heading into this season?
2: Well. Uh, John there has uh I don't know that it's really too many more than normal maybe a few uh you know we can we can go through them in every, any order you want to but uh, the uh you know I can just there's been some editorial changes where uh, on the targeting this year a player does not have to leave the stadium and uh they' They have two classifications now. They have a disqualifying foul, which basically targeting, if it's upheld, is a disqualifying foul. And uh, then the other one, uh, the uh, ejections fighting two unsportsmanlike conducts and flagrant personal fouls will be fouls you know, requiring ejection. And then the ejected player will have to leave the playing area.
1: Gerald, has the COVID-19 situation led to any changes in in travel uh, in terms of trying to get to the destination? And and also, I know the officials kind of like to sometimes pool together and go in vans to games. Is that changing as well?
2: It is, uh, at least within the SEC. And I think actually, Jimmy, we're following kind of on some things, the CDC guidelines. But. Also, we're kind of following some of the examples of the different things in the NFL, but we you know, we cannot travel together, uh, even carpool, uh, you know, just as a precaution. We will arrive at the game site, and uh, we'll all have our separate rooms, and no no Friday night dinners, which, you know, we're, you know, we're willing to do quite a bit of things, you know, to get to work. So... But we're, we're basically socially distancing until we, we leave the, uh, stadium, uh, or you know, leave for the stadium on Saturday. And, uh, I have an idea that we're probably all going to be driving our own vehicles even to the stadium rather than riding in the van as you've probably seen them do here at UT. And, uh, so the, I guess the upside to that is I'm sure the fans, Participation is going to be probably 20 to 25 percent of normal. So hopefully, it won't be just the madhouse of traffic that you would typically see on a Saturday afternoon. In the SEC,
1: Gerald, I want to ask about the pylon and the reason why. I was watching the Seattle New England game last night, and there was a player from Seattle that caught a pass. Now, I do know, obviously, in the NFL, the receiver has to get two feet inbounds, and college is one. So this player in the NFL caught the ball, got one foot in bounds, his other foot hit the pylon, but then landed inbounds in the end zone touchdown. But here's my question to you: If there is a college receiver that leaps up in the air and catches a ball and a foot hits the pylon and he's coming down and his foot lands out of bounds, is that incomplete?
2: Well it depends on where the ball is, Jimmy. <laughs> it, 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 okay it, what to answer the question. Oh uh, in college do you have you know what you call the pylon extended? In other words, if a player dives for the pylon and uh, the first option is that you know, if he gets the ball, just you know, reaches the ball inside the pylon as he passes it, then obviously it's a touchdown if he had hit out of bounds first. The other option <clears throat> excuse me with the uh, pylon, with the goal line extended, is if he actually has that ball in, say, his left hand. He's on the left sideline. If the ball goes past the goal line, you know, the plane, and he has not hit the ground out of bounds, if he can touch the pylon with any, you know, the other hand even, if you touch that pylon then the ball is beyond the go- plane of the goal line, that it is just...
1: Even if you have not established yourself back on the field of play?
2: That's correct. When you touch wow. that pylon, okay. you're in the end zone.
1: Okay. Interesting. I would have gotten that one wrong if I had been given a quiz by Steve <laughs> Shaw. So, <laughs> yeah, because I thought you would have to establish yourself back in the field of play. That's an interesting one. Well, we may never see it again, but I always see plays on the college or NFL level that I haven't seen, and I'm like, boy, that's a, that would be an interesting one uh, to check out. So. Um, right. Uh, but that that pylon thing threw me off just a little bit. Uh, one other rule change uh, Gerald they are they 're extending the sidelines. I, I think it used to be from like the thirty to thirty now it 's going to be from the fifteen to the fifteen um, Your thoughts on uh, on that change
2: well yeah, it actually was It was from the twenty five to the twenty five Jimmy okay. up until this year they 've added you know ten yards to each end so they 've added twenty yards to the team box and it 's just basically to try to keep, you know, distancing on the sidelines. One thing you will notice this year uh, in the SEC, there will be a very, very few people on the sidelines other than players. I mean, they've got to be trainers, medical personnel, chain crew, uh, but there won't be photographers lining the field, you know, as Chip put on the SEC game. You know I mean? It's just wall-to-wall people around. So, that's going to be a big difference. The coin toss, coin toss. I don't know if you've seen that yet in some of the games, but you'll have two officials and one captain from each team. Uh, no dignitaries or you know honorary captains or anything like that right now. So they're going to keep the, there again the distancing as much as possible.
0: How much do you think that, how? how difficult do you think it will be to get used to uh, to this new normal so to speak and uh, what what i guess are you looking for in the first game that you work
2: well fortunately uh john uh from the replay booth uh it won't be too terribly different we're going to have you know basically the same equipment and uh we we watch that monitor in in the the booth to you know make help make decisions but uh, of course we watch every snap live but uh on the replay end of it, uh it won't be all that different, Uh and I'm sure I'm sure it'll feel kinda of funny with you know, not the crowds, you know, when you when you used to work in the SEC with the crowds they have everywhere, uh that will be that will be different and I don't know what each school's Allotment is, but it's, I think it's somewhere around 25% of whatever of the normal capacity. So, uh, I think the guys on the field, when they notice it more than, than, uh, you know, us up in the booth, uh, they will probably be able to hear a lot better. And I don't know if that's good or bad, you know, from, uh, on the field.
0: But, uh,
2: might be bad
0: for think. the coaches and staff that, that, <laughs> that some of the things they say good. actually that, get heard. Yeah,
2: exactly. They might, they might hear things that they normally wouldn't hear, but most good officials wouldn't hear it anyway. I mean, you tune it out. But uh, that is something that something would be interesting. And, uh, of course, obviously I hadn't been to a game with the reduced fan participation, so I don't know how that would work. Uh, and I'll ask you because I have not watched that part of any pro game. Are they piping crowd noise in yes. during the TV
1: yeah, and as, one of the rules is that it can be at like a decibel level of no more than 70. The decibel level for games in Seattle and uh, for Saints and probably Denver can get well over 100, but they are limiting sure. it to yeah. 70. And, in fact, this was kind of funny. So I was watching the end of Philadelphia's game, and Philadelphia got beat by the Rams. And so they so at the end of the game they piped in booze. <laughs> Philadelphia is at home, and they piped in booze after they lost.
2: <laughs> wow! Yeah, they, that's pretty
1: tough, isn't it? it, <laughs> well, it well, it is.
2: <laughs> we did. We did hear from a couple of former NFL officials that helped us out that the NFL had gone back. I forget now several years, and they had, uh, basically. Had soundtracks of each individual stadium, and you know they they could match the stadium with the soundtrack from past ball games. So you know, I'm sure they had cheers and boos and you know the whole thing. But I ran through the channels last night. We literally just during the Sunday night game, and I really didn't even watch it. I couldn't tell you who was playing. Other than you know, I could hear the crowd noise, and then I remembered what they had told us that. And this was back, you know, a month or so ago. They were hoping to get that put together. But it sounds like they did.
0: Gerald, you've obviously been around the Southeastern Conference for a long, long time, and you've you've also worked bowl games and things like that. Do you have any friends that are officials in the Big Ten or the Pac-12?
2: A couple in the Big Ten, and um, and I have not talked to. I mean, that's shame on me, I guess. But uh, not a lot. Uh, more, you know, of course, we're more familiar with guys probably from the ACC and, mm-hmm. and to some extent the Big Twelve, just because of geographics. And a lot of us came up through some of the same FCS conferences. And of course, you get, you know, back in the day when you had split crews, you would see them. And of course, we had the replay conferences in Chicago that, you know, we could see, see everybody. So, uh, but I have not talked to anybody in either one of the leagues this this fall.
0: The fact that the Southeastern Conference is rolling with a conference-only schedule uh, does that do anything in terms of the pool of available officials? I mean, you, you at some Saturdays you would have 14 games if there were um, no uh, no SEC games, and I'm just wondering: is the is the pool of, of SEC officials available? SEC officials is that any different this year than previous years? Uh, well
2: due you know due to some retirements and some some uh, some of our younger officials getting picked up by the NFL which had several officials opt out oh uh, we we don't we we're probably down a crew but we're actually still we have more than we need on any given Saturday which you know is we have a reserve crew kind of standing by every week so it's that, a good thing and a bad thing
0: Our guest is SEC replay official Gerald Hodges, whose appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials, since anyone can remember, to join us, 656-9900, 656-9900. We have more with Gerald coming up as you listen to Sports Talk on 99.1, The Sports Animal. Hey, this is BFL Joshua Dobbs, and we're counting it down. It's just five days
1: until it's football time in Tennessee.
0: This sports radio WNML countdown to kickoff is brought to you by Knoxville TVA Employees Credit Union. Find out more at TVACreditUnion.com. Go on! Sports Talk continues with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest SEC replay official, Gerald Hodges. If you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900, 656-9900.
1: Gerald, there was a bowl game last year, which uh, there was a scuffle that occurred well before uh, the officials took jurisdiction. Talk a little bit about the change for official jurisdiction at games before kickoff.
2: Sure. Uh, last year or in the past. The uh, the officials' jurisdiction for a ball game started at sixty minutes before kickoff, so we always had a couple officials out at sixty minutes, and uh, in some cases the teams would send out you know special teams or you know specialists earlier than that, and uh, so just to kind of keep order, there were some instances of just incidents, you know, before before the game and warm-up. So this year they will have a minimum of three officials on the field at uh, 90 minutes before kickoff and then, you know, maybe in some of the big rivalry games. And we did this in the past even at 60 minutes. In a big ball game or the rivalry game, we would have all uh, nine officials out there at 60 minutes. So that, the change now is they will be out there 90 minutes also the players themselves, if they're out there warming up, you know, with just a jersey or, you know, no shoulder pads or stuff like that, they have to have a jersey with their number on it, and there also has to be a member of the coaching staff, not just managers, trainers. There has to be a member of the coaching staff that all the players out there have to have numbers on. So that was a pretty big you know, pretty big change for that.
1: Yeah, I would think that's in case there might have been a scuffle and then uh, you didn't know who they were because they had a T-shirt on or something like that. It made it harder to identify them without exactly. number on. That
2: was, that was exactly the reasoning uh, because you, you're right, and especially you know, if there's more than one involved, which typically if something like that happens, there's usually more than one or two involved. So that, that was the reason for the numbering. And, uh of course, obviously with video, if it comes down to that. You know, looking later with numbers, they can identify them. And uh, they've had several uh, different. Uh, while we're on that on the numbering, uh, they've added zero as a legal number now, and it's always been one through ninety-nine. You know, and the, they suggested that the uh, offensive lineman, you know, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy, you know, through and then, of course, on defense, there was no, uh, you know, issue with it. They could, you know, the, the middle linebacker could be number one if, you know, if he had enough class to request that number. But also, and this affected us in the booth and on the field, uh, this year there could be no more than two players wearing the same number. And we've been noticing games in the past, some schools would have, you know, four or five different players wearing the same number. And, of course, it's always been real, you know, you can't have two players on the field in, at any one time with the same number. So now that uh, there can only be two actually listed with the same number and uh, on the field. And, of course, in most cases they have their names on the back, but still when you had especially a disqualifying foul or an ejection about foul, you know, you're going to get the right number five.
1: Talk a little bit about the protection afforded to a uh, a snapper on kicks. What what they're looking at doing in that regard?
2: Okay. Well, in the past, of course, uh, you know, if you were lined up, head up on the snapper. You did On either side of the center.
0: Our guest is SEC replay official Gerald Hodges, and of course, Gerald's appearance is brought to you by our good friends at AG Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Uh, Gerald, we just recently spoke with uh Ryan McGee, and he and his brother and his father have written a book called sidelines and bloodlines. And his dad was a long time official. And I was wondering, did, did you ever cross paths with Jerry McGee?
2: I sure did. John back, you know, there again, in the early days or my early days with the sec, uh, Jerry's career and mine overlapped considerably, uh, on the field. And, you know, back in the early days, we still worked split crews mm-hmm. and, uh, and, of course you know being you know especially this close geographically we worked a lot of split crews with ACC crews uh Big 12 crews back in the day Big East crews uh Big 10 and uh, so it, then you know that that's when you could really you would probably run into a lot of uh, officials from the other league and uh but we actually did we had uh, we had a couple ball games together and of course, you always had Florida, Florida State, South Carolina, Clemson, and those big rivalry games, Georgia-Georgia Tech, that type of thing. So, uh, but we actually did. I, I saw the little blurb on the U.S. I did not realize, that. Uh, uh, what which, what's, the, what's the one that's on the SEC network? of uh, that Ryan? Ryan, yes. Ryan's on with M- Marty and McGee, but that's, Correct. that's Ryan. But, yeah, okay. And I, I heard someone. It may be on on your guys' show. Uh, someone's interviewing Ryan, and I did not make that connection until I heard that interview on the radio.
0: <laughs> yeah, he joined us last week to uh, to talk about his book, which is uh, in bookstores everywhere. But uh, I okay. was just what What was it like to work with the split crews? Uh, I mean, did you guys get along? Was there ever any point in time where it's like, well, here's how we do it? I mean, I I can't I can't imagine that you were always uh, great chemistry, but what was it like when that used to be the case?
2: Well, you know, really, Don, it, it it is it is pretty amazing. And in my experience, we never had an issue. The other crew was all always very professional. But there were some, and that's why we had a pretty long, a little bit longer pregame when we had mm-hmm. split crew because just mechanics and you know they said, well, certain things would do this, and nothing major, you know, because they, we all had the kind of the mechanics to go by in today's time almost everyone is really on the same page it's a lot more standardized but you know basically the same but just you know little things i mean this, like you know which side we're going to bring the ball in on a change of possession that type of thing you know little things like that so we'd go over that but everything else was just on, in my experience was just on the up and up there were a lot of great officials in the other conferences and uh we just enjoyed, because typically when you had some of those ball games, they were usually pretty good
0: ball games. Last year, we, of course, got to see the fantastic documentary series, Saturdays in the South, and that's where we got to see you, uh, we'll just say, have a conversation with Steve Spurrier at one point in time. And uh, you had a picture of that. I'm just wondering, uh, since Ryan, of course, and his brother Sam and his dad Jerry put their book together, I'm sure you've been asked time and time before. If you if you were asked to write a book, do you think you would have enough stories to fill that book?
2: <laughs> I, I would probably have a whole series of books. To <laughs> <have>. <laughs> this, uh,
0: this
2: is this is going on my 32nd year in the SEC, and then uh, I had uh, 15 more in uh, you know FCS, and then uh, three more in Division One. So that's my 30. I've seen, I've seen a lot of things, and uh, a buddy of mine tipped me off to that departure we're talking about, the Saturdays in the South, and uh, I would love to find the, you know, it's in that was years ago, but uh, I would love to find the, you know, an original on that picture because I'm sure I'd get Coach Burr now to sign it for me, and I'd love to have that <laughs>
0: I'll bet he'd be glad to.
2: <laughs> he would. He really would. He really would. Yes. And uh so, oh, uh, but uh, yeah, that was someone. I don't know. Someone said, "Hey, you need to watch this because they played it several times." And sure enough, it was on there. So
0: we'll get a break we've got one more segment to this hour of sports talk one more segment to today's edition of the program gerald's appearance brought to you by ag Hines company providing building materials since anyone can remember this is sports talk on 99.1 the sports animal not so much our job as it is our obsession 99.1 the
2: sports animal (laughs)
0: Final segment to today's edition of Sports Talk. I'm John Wilkerson with Jimmy Hyams. Our guest, Gerald Hodges. Gerald,
1: I wanted to ask you about uh, another situation uh, with the um, instant replay and the clock adjustment. Uh, If the clock expires at the end of the half, the replay determines that there was time remaining on the clock and the clock would have started on the referee's signal after review. Uh, Now there must be at least three seconds remaining when the ball should be declared dead um, uh, for them to uh, when the ball should have been declared dead to restore the time on the clock, right? If it's less yes. than three, the feeling is you're not going to be able to get the snap off, right?
2: That is correct, exactly right, Jimmy. The uh, and there again, if say a runner makes a, a makes a first down, that doesn't have to be a long run, but if he makes a first down, you know, obviously the clock's going to stop just to set the chains. And they're out of timeouts, and there's uh, less than three seconds, then, uh, but the clock has to run out you know, before we can put time back on anyway. But it, and that's the feeling that with this less than three seconds, there's no way they're going to get lined up, snap it, and, and run the play. It's kind of in line with the, you know, if you've got three seconds off the clock uh, and it is stopped and when it starts on the snap, if you have three seconds or more, then you can spike it and obviously get another play. But if there's less than three. In other words, there's two or one second. You've got to run the play. So, kind of ties makes it you know more in line with that.
1: I've heard Steve Shaw talk about this and now being implemented, and that is to make sure that you get the replay decision completed uh, not to exceed two minutes. Uh, there are exceptions, but that's basically what he would like to see. Correct.
2: Well, he wouldn't like to see two minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's a Max. Yeah, not to exceed. Uh, two, yeah, not to exceed. But it is correct, and I know just from, uh, in generalities. Typically, I know for the last three or four years, pretty much. Now you there again? You're going to have extenuating circumstances. I mean, it could be a championship game or you know something of that nature that that you just you know, you need to look a little longer, but the feeling is basically really, if you look at that thing for a minute and a half, you need to be thinking about, you know, making the decision, and certainly at two minutes. If you can't decide in two minutes, then basically it's decided for you. It's got to be a stand. And uh, so, but yeah, they, really, they like to see it, with, you know, more than a minute, 25, minute 30 range max. And with... uh in the majority of cases that does but then you know then you'll get a three-minute one for, you know, for whatever reason and uh, but that is true it's kind of always been you know a, an ideal goal is two minutes and uh, then they decide that you know it's not just a hard fast rule like because of the variables but that is true one other rule Jimmy too that will be interesting finally as well been one of my pet peeves I guess but uh, where you have a uh, Defensive substitution foul. And uh, their rule said you were to shut it down before the, if the snap was in, imminent, then you were to shut it down. And so now they've taken that to a live ball foul. And typically, where that, at, you know, a lot of times on a field goal, team lines up kicks field goal. And right before they snap it, you know, which by rule they were to shut it down, you know, he goes ahead and kicks it. You penalize of five yards and he misses it. It happened to, so. Uh, a couple of different times. So this way, and what it does, it keeps the defense from gaining advantage by fouling. All
0: right. And, hey uh, Gerald, we, we sure do appreciate it. We'll look forward to continuing the conversation next week, but have a great week. It's great to have football back.
2: It is that. You guys have a good week. And stay safe. Thank,
0: Thank you. Thank you. You too. Brought to you by A.G. Hines Company.